0: Hey, there internet i'm annie i'm kit and this is the gem jam where we are an episode by episode recap the 1980s cartoon gem and the holograms because it is truly outrageous and it truly 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 really likes zatanna This is Season 2, Episode 10, Music is Magic, a.k.a. Episode 36 for those you keeping track at home. This is a pretty special episode, and as some of you may have noticed, Mackenzie is actually uh, unavailable this week, so we got a uh, pretty good pinch hitter for her. This is our friend Chris Sims. He's back again. How's it going, Chris?
1: I'm really excited to be here uh, to talk talk about this one.
0: Chris was with us for the special that we did between Seasons 1 and 2, the Gem Jam Primer. Let's get magical! This is an episode written by Paul Dini. That may sound familiar to you. It's not because he wrote any other Gem episodes. Chris, I think you are mildly more aware of Paul Dini than I am. So uh, why don't you catch us up to
1: speed? Are you Are you saying that because I am a, a very prominent member of the Tiny Toon Adventures fan community?
0: Yes, exactly that.
1: Yeah, I, I think Paul Dini is probably best known uh, for his work as uh, one of the the primary architects, along with Bruce Timm and uh, Eric Radomski, of Batman the Animated Series. He's mainly known for that. But before that, he was a uh, an animation guy. Like, he just worked on various animated shows. And in fact, he still does. That's Paul Dini's professional record. There's also a personal thing that I think becomes... Uh, you, you cannot avoid it in this episode. Uh, and that is that Paul Dini is a very big fan, a noted fan, of the character Zatanna, from the DC comics. Uh, I think you can see that really blending into this episode.
0: Zatanna is, she is basically a stage magician, is her whole sort of shtick, except she does real magic by saying things backwards.
1: She's a legacy character from a Golden Age hero called Zatara, uh, whose name was John Zatara, and her name is Zatanna Zatara. Because, you know, why not? Why would you hate your child that much? Zatanna's costume. And this is a thing. It's a look that is so strongly identified with Zatanna in in comics that it's kind of difficult to see it as anything else. But I believe having read enough comics from the, the 50s and 60s, you know, anytime anyone uh, there is a woman who who becomes a magician, they wear this outfit, the the top hat and the, the sort of, you know, tuxedo that's also a swimsuit with the, the fishnets and high heels. Like, Lois Lane wears it in an issue of Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. I feel like Zatanna is just supposed to have the magician look. That it is shorthand for Lady Magician. That's what we have the holograms wearing in this episode. The Misfits are basically dressed in Zatanna's superhero costume that she wore in the 70s. She had a superhero costume? The I believe it's a George Perez design, which is not quite what the misfits are wearing but it's close enough that it's it's all it's Zatanna's all the way down in this episode
0: we should probably get into this shouldn't we as you can probably tell we open on Kimber in a Zatanna costume the great kimbreedy she's putting on a whole little show for all of the orphans in the house and ashley is very dubious about this whole thing yeah ashley and bonnie are acting as her assistants which means they have like towel turbans on their head yeah it's uncomfortable
1: they cram a lot of cultural appropriation into this very short two-minute sequence.
0: Yeah, because because they bring out a box, which is for Kimber's next greatest trick, which is all decorated with these things that look like they're supposed to be on the side of, like, ancient Egyptian sarcophagi. And so they just sort of slide this top onto the box, and there's a lock on one side, and I guess it attaches to the box on the other side, which... There didn't seem to be hinges, but okay. Kimber says she's going to implore the ancient spirits to get her out of the box, and uh, and it doesn't work because she has lost her key. It's lying just outside the box. Everyone gets a great giggle about it, and Kimber's still locked in a box. Bonnie lets her out.
1: There's a bit of animation in this sequence that I really like, which is that uh, Bonnie and Ashley get so much secondhand embarrassment that they pull their turbans down over their faces. And it's really, it's awkwardly animated, but it's such an awkward thing to do anyway that I think it really, really works.
0: You know, this whole episode feels like it's got some really awkward animation in there. Like, it feels like there was maybe a different animation director than usual, or it was, like, a different branch of the studio or something. I guess everybody moves here in slightly different ways than they usually do, to the point where it reminds me of, like, the cutscenes in weird adventure games from the 90s. Yeah, and everyone's just that little bit off model, too.
1: I think the adventure game comparison is is dead accurate. <laughs> like it, especially when we see uh, Jerrica and the the other Benton sisters and Rhea walking in. They all walk in together as a unit of four, with their torsos just slightly lagging behind their legs. <laughs> This opening scene is such a a sitcom thing, because we have never seen Kimber have any interest in becoming a magician before.
0: At some point in the episode, she's like, well, there goes my one chance to ever be a true stage magician. Where did this come from, Kimber? There goes my life's ambition I've had ever since we got back from Mexico.
1: There goes my one chance to become a stage magician. Now let's go to our big stage magic concert.
0: So the holograms, they fill us in on Kimber's interest and they said that Kimber's trying out an act for the music and magic show they're doing, which is on a place called Magic Island. Nobody ever explains what Magic Island is. Or why it is.
1: I feel like they they got some investors to go and develop the Island of Deception and now it's Magic Island.
0: It's like you can only get there from a boat. There's 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 trapdoors everywhere on Magic Island. It's all delightful. A little aside here, They show this poster that the holograms have for this. And in the gem and the holograms logo uh, for and, they have the little ampersand and they made it look like a treble clef, which to me, why isn't that always in their logo? That's clever and cute. And then there's kind of a interesting transition where we go from Kimber holding the poster to mysterious hands holding the poster and tearing it up. And at first I was like, oh, I wonder who that could be. But it turns out it's not Eric. He's not even in this one. Yeah, this is a guy who wears a suit jacket and a shirt that seems to have cufflinks. So put that in your pocket for later. And then we cut to everybody in satanic costumes. We're on stage at Magic Island. We're all talking about how great it is for this television special of magic and glam rock. And here comes Mr. Devin Silverstone, professional dickwaffle. He's got a little cape and a cane and everything, and he saunters over to Jem, and he's like, Ah, Jem! Finally, an entertainer whose talent matches the magnitude of my own! So he's already gonna be a lot of fun. And he's not exaggerating at all. That is the exact line and delivery.
1: He start, he struck me as a as a David Copperfield type. You know, the the, the handsome, uh, shirt-unbuttoned-a-little-too-far fan blowing him while he uh, makes, a, makes something disappear.
0: So Devin magics up some roses and he says to her, it's fated, we should die, and after the show. I won't take no for an answer, and then he takes no for an answer. Yeah, Devin's like, I I have a say in this, and uh nope, 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 nope. I kind of like that Jem's immediate response is not, I have a boyfriend, but I'm so not interested. Devin takes no for an answer and then is this, he's got a little cane with like a little diamond on it and then the, the the diamond glows and he just straight up disappears somehow. And this is our first inkling that maybe stage magic is real magic in this world. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff happening in here that's not quite explainable by the presence of trapdoors. But meanwhile, Marla Martell comes in from the stage wings and advances on Jem, and instead of, I don't know, warning Jem that Silverstone is Toad's creepy, she's instead, I'll stay away from my man. Or I'll put a snake in your roses. And then she puts a snake in the roses.
1: A little bit a snake, hello friend. Which seems very unnecessary, considering that she just watched Jem go, yeah, I'm really not interested. <laughs> How much more away from her man can she get?
0: Marla Martell also introduces herself as a famous illusionist, and I just need you guys to know how many times I wrote illusions, Michael, in my notes for this episode. How many times was it? Oh, a whole lot. I lost count. And then we get introduced to two more magicians, or at least one more magician and his assistant, whose names are Frick and Frack.
1: It's great because Frack is always saying,
0: Frick! Frick! frick,
1: Get over here!
0: Ah, Frick! And then uh, Frick comments that he doesn't like that his act has been, quote, sandwiched between two mindless rock bands. And the part of me was really hoping that the other rock band was the Limp Lizards. It will never be the Limp Lizards, and I hate that. Just once, just once.
1: There's only two bands. There's only two bands. There's one band that you see every week, which is going to be like that until season three. There's only one other band. It's not going to be the Limp Lizards.
0: Meanwhile, back at Magic Island, uh, Gem and the Holograms get hit with a smoke bomb. Who could it possibly be? From the stage, riding in on a moon, here come the misfits. They toss another smoke bomb, and then they start in on a very situation-specific song. Called Abracadabra. I I keep wondering every so often where this fits on their discography. And I guess, I I don't know, did the Misfits just get real mad and start singing about magicians one episode?
1: This uh, this is great because there's another band called the Misfits and there's another song called Abracadabra, both of which are very well known. And this is neither-
0: I would like to continue my insistence that if there is a second gem in the Holograms movie, that should be played by Glenn Danzig in a green wig. So the Misfits finish their song and they run off. And I was just like, the other band would have to be the Misfits. Have you been in the rest of the show? Of course it's the Misfits. We've had 36 times when there could have been another band. And in 36 times, it has been the Misfits.
1: Maybe, Maybe it would have been Lena Lerner. You don't know.
0: So, after all these interruptions, the holograms decide that, well, uh, whatever, they'll just still rehearse, and then Devin Silver Scum comes rolling back in with a magic lady box, and he's like, get in the box! Yes, sir, to do the famous vanishing lady trick, which is apparently the trick that Kimber botched at the beginning of the episode. Kimber is very excited to see this trick, and Jim's like, alright, fine, maybe he'll leave us alone. So, she gets in the box, he closes the box, he's like, one, two, three, and the box explodes! Explodes! This is apparently not working as designed. <laughs> this is our commercial break!
1: That, that's an old school commercial. In fact, that's even better than the season one commercial breaks because as far as we know, Jim is dead. Like Jim is not dying or about to die. She is she has been exploded.
0: That's one way to make someone disappear. Jim just exploded in a blaze of glory and hellfire. Memento Mori by our dolls. But what's left of them anyway? Buy everybody else's doll. We've got a special gem doll where you can put all the pieces back together. We come back from the commercial break and I'll just basically like, she turned you down so you murdered her? I mean, this would sound really ridiculous, but also the misfits try to kill them constantly and Kimber once almost got at by a robo shark. So I feel like they're constantly in a state of high alert now. So the misfits and all the other magicians race up onto the stage to find out what happens. Let's get this straight. This is a Scooby-Doo episode. Our cast came to a new location. They were introduced to three different characters who might have a motive. And now we get to go through some zany antics until the uh, the person reveals themselves because somebody fell into a trap. Yeah, Aja and Shayna, being sensible, realize they have a whodunit on their hands. And then Aja says in Shayna's voice, who could be responsible for this? And then Shayna says in Aja's voice, it could be any of them. Cue music video. Gem and the holograms. It could be you, in which all of the holograms do Poirot impressions. I guess. Yeah, this is this is a glam rock version of the first couple of minutes of a classic Agatha Christie accusing parlor scene.
1: We get the best shot in the episode, and I know we kind of ragged on the animation a little bit earlier, but the. Single best shot in the episode. One of my favorite in the in the series. Uh, when Aja gets like all up in Jeda's face, like she leans in and then she leans in closer, looking meaner. It is a oh Jeda's about to get her jaw broken scene. I love it.
0: Like Aja and Shayna are basically both bad cop in this. I think Aja is worse cop. <laughs> Shayna will just yell at you. Aja will break your legs. I tell you what, guys, what I wouldn't give for a tiny, fancy Belgian man to just come onto the scene and solve this mystery.
1: But no. Can we talk about how the songs in this episode are genuinely terrible? Yeah. They're not good. This one is the worst. A- Abracadabra and Music is Magic are bad, but It Could Be You is maybe the worst song in the series. I Even, uh, what is it, uh, the World Hunger Shindig song that has the line, people who share are people who care, people who give so other people can live.
0: We can make a difference. We can make a difference. We can make a difference.
1: That's as, that's as good as I can do. I'm sorry. Like, that song has a melody. <laughs> that That song has is memorable. This song is just really, really bad. Could be you, couldn't it, couldn't it, could be you, couldn't it, could, I guess so. This song is like Paul Dini didn't know that he didn't have to write the songs.
0: Yeah, it sounds about right. And again, it's like, where does this fit into the holograms discography? Most of the songs can at least be like attributed to saying, oh, this is an extremely specific instance, but it's actually just about like being in love with Rio for some reason.
1: Are the holograms walking around singing accusations at everyone, I think is a pretty good question.
0: I want to believe. And everyone decides they're going to go looking for Jem, who they claim has disappeared despite the fact she was in a box that exploded. Jem's dead. I mean, I guess they didn't find any body parts.
1: There's a scorch mark on the floor.
0: Jem is a smear on the ground now. So... The, the Misfits also tag along because they're like, hey, if somebody's picking off singers, we should probably stick together, right? And all holograms are like, yeah, that that adds up. It doesn't. But it's okay because the Misfits just want to make sure Jem stays vanished. Again, Jem is dead, but uh, they go into a, a storage room, I guess, but it's got a stage in it. And Pizzazz gets attacked by a ghost witch. A freaking Halloween witch floats out and she summons some synergy-level nightmare monsters. And then Marla comes in and is like, Oh, those aren't ghosts. Those are just my illusions, Annie. Illusions, Michael! There we go. And then she reveals that she controls them with this medallion that she's got. She starts waving the medallion around and then immediately shouts, It isn't working! Let's also point out she tosses her hand over towards the projector for these illusions that apparently project light and sound and also smoke. It looks like a little Tesla coil somebody turned on its side.
1: It looks like the Death Ray from the Superman 1940s cartoon short, The Death Ray.
0: So when Marla realizes that the illusions aren't working, uh, that she can't control them, this apparently means that the deck is malfunctioned and all the holograms are real now. And they subsequently murder Marla. Zaps Marla, she disappears... Pizazz goes running for the door, and as she's running for the door to this room, she gently brushes Kimber. Pizazz's people's elbow strikes again. She backs up slowly about 30 paces into an empty sarcophagus while going, Whoa!
1: It's like a school play. She takes several steps backwards. If you watch it, she carefully steps into the Iron Maiden.
0: Yeah, luckily it's an Iron Maiden with no spikes in it.
1: Pizzazz is grabbed by a hologram as physically interacts with a hologram
0: <laughs> they disappear together
1: here's here's the thing about this episode like going into it the first time I watched it. obviously there's gonna be a lot of like Jim using her holograms because they're because they are essentially magic. instead Jim is like out. <laughs> Like, Jim's the first one gone, which kind of makes sense because you don't want her synergizing her way out of the whole thing. But then you get other holograms that are better than synergies, and look, I am willing to accept synergies holograms doing the weird things that they can do if synergy is unique in the world. If Marla Martel has a death ray that can do the same thing as synergy, and honestly isn't that big, it's like the size of three shoeboxes. If she's got that, then then the show has the show is broken. <laughs> the show is broken.
0: Chris, I got good news for you. It's okay. There were trap doors.
1: Oh, right. Okay.
0: The room is just riddled with trap doors, apparently. Every five feet, there's another trap door. These trap doors, they're just riddled throughout this whole building. They lead to the basement. And so everybody decides, let's go down to the basement. And they make to jump in. They're not going to get like a ladder or something. No, like judging by the way Professor Frick is like, well, all right. And he just sort of like, go one and a two and uh, and we cut. But I'm pretty sure he just hopped down. Sure. Sure. Okay. That's fine. This is fine. Let's go to the basement. It's where they store their old magic props. And then Kimber, Kimber says the thing. Let's split up. We'll cover more ground that way. She technically says we'll cover more area, but she definitely says let's split up. We'll cover more blank that way. Oh, God. It's the line. This is definitely a Scooby-Doo episode. Did, did Paul Dini ever work on any Scooby-Doo iteration? Do you know, Chris?
1: Let's Let's see here. Paul Dini. Whose name, by the way, I, I meant to mention this earlier. Paul Dini's name actually sounds like a magician's name. He's, he's the great Paul Dini. He did write, oh my God, oh my God, the new Scooby-Doo mysteries. He wrote the episode called... A Halloween Hassle at Dracula's Castle. No!
0: I love everything about that title. Oh my god. So he has some Scooby-Doo experience then. That explains a lot. Meanwhile, back in the basement, Devin, Kimber, Shana, Rhea, and Stormer go off together. And then they look over around the corner and oh, there's Jem in a cage. That is definitely the real live Gem, and definitely not a cardboard cutout. Stormer, who is our representation of the bad guy team, says, Darn it. Jem would have to show up now, and I have a question. Did Pauldini just choose to disregard Stormer being the nice one, or was Stormer perhaps hoping something would happen? Kimber and Stormer perhaps getting separated from everybody else. Kimber being so scared, perhaps, that she needed comforting. Comforting, perhaps, from Stormer.
1: Normally, I would say that was a bit of a reach, but given the rest of Pauldini's writing career. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna say this is 100% likely. <laughs> okay, so... Rhea runs right up into the cage and it turns out she can't tell a cardboard cutout from a real person because it is definitely a cardboard cutout. She deserves to get stuck in that goofy mousetrap cage.
1: To be fair, uh, A, it is a cardboard cutout of Jim wearing the outfit Jim is wearing today, which is very, it's a very quick turnaround on an evil prop. Uh, Second, don't be too hard on Rhea because Kimber, uh, who has literally known Jim Well, I guess she hasn't known Jim her entire life, but she's known Jerrica her entire life. Can't tell the difference either. Rhea's new, at least.
0: But the cage starts spinning and Rhea and uh, presumably the cardboard cutout fuse into a live tiger. The tiger rushes out, uh, it chases people, and Stormer runs away shrieking and uh, refers to the tiger as Rhea.
1: Yeah, which I love. Stormer is 100% convinced Rhea has been turned into a tiger and is trying to bargain with her.
0: (laughs) One of those things on its own is funny. Both of them is amazing. And then Devin shoots actual laser beams out of his cane at the tiger. The tiger is unfazed by this, but instead turns his attention to this new source of irritation, backing up on most of our cast apparently about to eat them. And that's our commercial break for the rest of this episode. Memento mori burning bright in the toy aisle of the night. What glam rocker hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go.
0: In case any of you forgot that Annie was an English major. I guess you gotta get your money's worth out of that master's degree, huh? Yeah, pretty much. So the tiger corners them, Devin shoots more lasers at it, and somehow it works this time. The tiger doesn't even really seem deterred by it, It just seems like it's been annoyed into leaving. So the tiger goes back to the cage, and the others run up, close the door, and then they decide that the culprit is clearly Professor Frick. Yeah, and then Frick starts protesting his innocence, reaches into his coat, and pulls out a comically large handkerchief. He's like trying to mop his brow with it because he's nervous, but it's tied to another handkerchief and he keeps pulling it out and out and out and then it turns into a sheet and it lands on everybody except Stormer, Kimber, Shayna, Jetta, frickin' Frack. And they all disappear. What?
1: Yeah, is this another, is this another trapdoor? Is that's what, is that what it's meant to be?
0: I mean, we find out there's another basement. So I guess so? I guess it's trap doors all the way down.
1: The bad guy's plan here is that he is sure that, that Professor Frick is going to not only keep pulling this comically large handkerchief, but throw it over the remaining <laughs> people just to get them all knocked out.
0: It relies on a lot of, uh, a lot of circumstance. Let's just assume that the bad guy is an actual literal wizard and move on. Okay, so... Professor Frick runs away, and the remaining glam rockers give chase. They end up in catacombs, and then an actual, like, World War II cannon fires on them. But it's a party cannon, and then they fall through a floor through a bunch of slides that sort them into individual cages! And there's Jem and everybody else are in individual cages that they apparently uh, got put into slides into, except Roxy and Pizazz. Roxy's in an upside down straitjacket apparatus. I don't know why. And Pizzazz is in the sawing a woman in half apparatus.
1: Listen, Roxy's a former gang member from Philly. You're gonna want to put her in the straitjacket. You're saying she was too dangerous. There was probably, there's probably a cage that has like the bars chewed off just off screen. And now
0: it's time for the Scooby-Doo reveal. Because, oh no, everybody's in cages. No one here could possibly be guilty. Who could the culprit be? Uh, It's old man Jenkins. He wanted to scare everybody away so he could find the pirate gold and then continue his counterfeiting operation. Or maybe it's Frack. It turns out it's Frack and he did it so he could be the only performer in the show and learn everybody's magic secrets and I guess learn the secret to Glamrock too. I don't know. So we haven't talked about Frack's outfit, but he does look a lot like a redheaded version of Norville Shaggy Roberts.
1: Yeah, he's player two Shaggy.
0: His outfit, from what I can tell, judging by the outfit that he has now, is that he has a separate outfit that he dresses up in just so he can rip up gem posters ominously. He just likes to feel important. So the show is about to start, and Frax says that he's going to saw Pizazz in half unless all of the magicians give him their secrets. And one of them's like, well, that's just a trick anyway. And Frax says, not the way I do it, which I think is my favorite line in this episode. So Frack manages to get everybody's secrets out of them because nobody wants to see Pizzazz get sawed in half, especially if she's going to be screeching like that the whole time. Ooh, yeah. He's got Professor Frick's top hat. He's got Devin's cane. He's got Marla's little medallion that controls the illusions. Then he just sort of hops out, leaves them to die. And then Kimber realizes, wait, I still have a skeleton key. Yeah, because I guess Frack didn't think to pat her down because she's not a real magician. Which, you know, she's not. So she lets everybody out. All of the former suspects apologize to Jem for being so mean to her and how Glamrock truly is the pinnacle of musical evolution. Meanwhile, on stage, Frack announces that he's going to do the disappearing elephant trick. He shows an elephant and then the curtains close and he says, when the curtains open again, the elephant will have disappeared. That's not disappearing an elephant. That's called quietly moving an elephant.
1: This is literally the worst magic trick.
0: I'm just really glad that this magic trick involving an elephant doesn't involve an elephant named Topsy and copious amounts of electricity. I will tell you that some guy here is really excited about moving an elephant quietly behind a curtain because it keeps coming back to the shot of the audience. and There's one guy on the left who is my favorite because he just claps and nods his head a lot while grinning. He is my very favorite person in the whole world. We cut back to the dungeon where Kimber's skeleton key actually just breaks off in the lock that's holding Pizzazz into the box. They decide they're just gonna leave her. And the misfits pick up a saw and decide they're going to saw her out of the box. I am so upset that we did not get to see this happen. Back on stage, uh, everyone bum rushes Frack. I have this section just called on my notes, Frack Fricks Up. We're having a whole little magic fight with all of the magicians against Frack. And Gem is like, Synergy, we need a multiple illusion. And then Synergy creates multiple pairs of holograms. And then Frack attacks one of them with the magic staff and Synergy then improvises. She turns them into horrible nightmares from hell. Synergy, what is wrong with you? Synergy, oh my god. So Frack runs backstage where the misfits have that straitjacket. They basically give him an atomic straitjacket wedgie. So all of, all of the holograms fade and Silverstone notices that Jem basically had a hand in that and he just writes it off as a magic trick because why not? Yep, a magician never reveals her secrets. <laughs> anyway, we don't have time to dwell on that. It's time for our last song. It's music, is magic. We've heard this one before, right? We have. It was uh, It was from episode five, Battle of the Bands. It's the song that won them the Battle of the Bands contest and, uh, and the fancy mansion and the right to starlight music and stuff. And then the episode does not just end at the end of the music video. The holograms go backstage and they find that the misfits are all tied up and they find a note that is basically a recurring villain stinger from Marvel movie. We'll meet again, signed the great Frack. I feel like Frack needs a name change. I'm really, really sad that this was never followed up on in the rest of the series, because I want them to also have a recurring evil magician nemesis. They just sort of leave the misfits tied up, and then they just sort of walk off while laughing. And that's our episode. That's music is magic. That was magical and musical.
1: It, w- it was an episode. It was It was an episode of television.
0: You know, I can't say I didn't have fun.
1: It's exactly the episode you would expect.
0: I think that is actually going to wrap it up for us today, guys. Chris, you are a special guest. Uh, if people want to see what you're up to, where can they find you?
1: Uh, Well, they can find me on uh, Twitter and Tumblr as TheISB. Uh, also, I have a, a podcast that's an episode-by-episode episode animation recap podcast that Annie has been a guest on uh, a couple times called Sailor Business, and you can find that at SailorBusiness.com where we, we watch every episode of the 1992 Sailor Moon anime with a friend. Uh, I also do a couple of other podcasts called uh, War Rocket Ajax and Movie Fighters with Matt Wilson, and uh, I'm also the writer of uh, Marvel's X-Men 92 with my writing partner, Chad Bowers. The fourth issue will be out on the 1st of June, and that wraps up the first story arc uh, where the X-Men are fighting vampires. It's a real midsummer hassle in Dracula's castle.
0: Yeah, speaking of Dracula's, they've got Dracula's. What was what was that thing? It was a, a multiversal community of Dracula's get-together?
1: Are you talking about the Council of Cross, I'm Dracula's?
0: That's the one! <laughs>
1: That exists in a, uh, a version of Dracula's castle that floats through Limbo outside of uh, any known dimension. Yeah, we have fun.
0: The Gem Jam comes out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr just about everywhere. We are at the Gem Jam, except on Twitter where we are at Gem Jam Cast. If you like what we do and you want to support us, uh, rating and reviews on iTunes or wherever you find our podcast are super great. They help our metrics. If you have a couple bucks kicking around, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Gem Jam. We have some pretty cool stuff for you guys for just a couple bucks a month. We love you. Regardless, you are all our favorites. So until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit.
1: I'm Chris. And
0: this has been The Gem Jam, where we remind you that you can't teach an outrageous dog new tricks.